It's another episode of Illiterate. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book. I watched a movie. This week, we are covering The Joker. Finally, it's arrived. The Joker apocalypse. Evan was ready for it. The controversy, the conspiracy. We're covering it all. We're covering the oh, a, a wide-ranging, vast of uh, And the literary material. basis. Yeah. How this was a character that was written down for many, many moons before it became this book. Many iterations. Many people have played the Joker. Um, I have the exact Real number. events inspired, apparently. You know, yeah, yeah. My God. Um, so There are over 250 works, TVs, movies, Whoa. video games, comics, books, that feature this character as the subject. In the late 2000s, there was the, a book called The Joker, A Serious Study of the Clown Prince of Crime, which was this professor, and it was the first academic book on a supervillain. Oh. And just to get the mind wheeling for our listeners, he said at the start of this book, the Joker is the only comic book villain that he's seen on merchandise for children, which strikes him as odd since the Joker is supposed to be a mass murderer. No one dresses their baby in <laughs> Satan socks, but he's seen infants wearing Joker socks. That is, uh, yeah, uh, it's not like we're putting, uh, you know, Charlie Manson yeah. on, on our infants. And a creepy <laughs> clown painted makeup murderer is, is, yeah, action figures. Who knows? Well, we'll find out today, won't we? Yeah. And so, the yeah, the book that I read that uh, mostly the movie that just came out is based off of is called Batman The Killing Joke. And... It was a one-shot, which means it was just a small 45-page thing not related to the Batman comics at large, written by Alan Moore, mm. which, if you know of Watchmen fame in 85, uh, we did an episode on Watchmen, which was episode six, so go back and listen to that if you're interested in the start of dark superhero stuff. And the Watchmen series comes out this month. Yeah, the 20th. the 20th. Yeah, so in a couple weeks. I can't wait. Yeah. So this, the the Killing Joke came out in 88, and Watchmen came out in 85. But if you remember from our Alan Moore stuff, he's not into mainstream comics. Not at all. So what is he doing writing a Batman story? Well, Giving the, it some it, it, depth, baby. <laughs> he didn't want to do it. it Even was the, the texture sizzle it up. <laughs> it was this artist, Brian Bolland. It was his idea uh, and Brian Ballin was like, yeah, Alan Moore's doing the killing joke as a favor to me. He doesn't want to do this, <laughs> but we're going to do it. I like this idea. Um, Got him. Yeah. Uh, so it's loosely adapted. There, Joker had been in comics for a while. There's a 1951 story called The Man Behind the Red Hood, where they give a little bit of the tease of the origin of the Joker. Oh, really? But they never really talked about who this character is, it, which is weird for comic books to not have, well, this is how this person came to be. Every right. character has... How did they get the way they were? Right. That's a character. Mm -hmm. Which is why it's also controversial with this movie that just came out and why it took so long. Because people are like, we don't want to give that part. That's what makes this character interesting right. is he makes up every single time. And that's what they showed in The Dark Knight with the Heath Ledger version. Right. He tells his story seven different ways to people about why Who he's knows? doing what he's doing. And I like it thinking about it as an entity, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. the idea, the character morphs different versions of it. I mean, different canons, different timelines, different iterations. I love it. Yeah. Um, I'm into that kind of vibe right now of just of, uh, pick your poison kind of deal. Mm -hmm. Just like, well, what version are you into? What version are you into? I, I'm opened up right now. I'm like, share me your passions. Share me. <laughs> what, you, what are you doing? What gets your blood pumping? Yeah. So, uh, you know, that that is so easy to do with... 
with with art and then obviously now with the joker i'm like yeah i want to see a different yeah version of this and what do you got to say how could you do with it it's related to as we see with this cultural problems or societal mores or things that the artist is personally reckoning with they might make an entirely different story once they become a father or mother and have children right you know (laughs) it's totally different (laughs) and that's interesting in and of itself so this killing joke came out in 88 the premise is he's like this failed family man, and the big phrase is that he has one bad day. So he's a failed comedian. He's trying to be a comedian. He has a pregnant wife, and he's going to do this thing for this mob boss to get some more money. But then there, he's told that his wife died in an accident, but the mob boss is still like, well, you still have to do this. Like, But it doesn't literally doesn't matter anymore because the reason I was doing it is for my family, and now they're just dead. Yeah. But he's like, no, you still have to do this. So then he dons this thing, the Red Hood, which is a larger character in the Batman comics who just represents the mob. And they just get any random dude off the street who's willing to do stuff for money to wear this. But it looks like the Red Hood is the guy running everything. Hmm. And so then Batman encounters him. He jumps into the vat of crazy chemicals in this chemical factory that he used to work at. Yeah. And this is also the origin of Barbara Gordon becoming paralyzed, who is Batgirl. So it's really shocking because halfway through the comic Joker, you realize that he's escaped from Arkham Asylum and he comes up and Barbara Gordon and Jim Gordon are just having a conversation. The knock on the door, she opens it up. It's like, oh, that's Luann from my yoga class. He's just there with a gun, shoots her in the spine. Um, because Joker's whole thing in the killing joke is to try and prove that anybody can go insane. And so he's trying to make Commissioner Gordon go insane through doing this heinous act to him and his family. Oh, Um, which this is the first instance of that. And that kind of became canon and affected the other comics where Barbara Gordon is paralyzed. And there is this beautiful, ambiguous ending that happens where, Batman confronts the Joker. He's like, you didn't win. Commissioner Gordon's fine. He'll get through it. He wanted me to come to get you. It's like, we could end this now. At some point, one of us is going to die. Let's just stop this. Like, Batman tries to rationalize with the Joker. Mm -hmm. And he has a moment of lucidity. He's like, maybe. No, it's too late. This reminds me of a joke. And the Joker tells this joke. There's these two guys who are trying to escape from an insane asylum. And the one guy jumps across to the other, but the other guy can't make it. And so he says, hey, I'll just shine my flashlight across the way and you can walk across the beam to get to me. And the guy's like, no, I don't trust you because once I'm halfway across, you'll just turn the light off, which is an entire metaphor for what Batman is trying to do with the Joker to get him across and who trusts who. And so then Batman thinks it's funny and they both laugh and the laughter trails off as the police sirens come on. And the reason it's ambiguous because there's one frame that's in shadow and it looks like Batman has grabbed Joker by the neck and is choking him, or he could just be holding him on the shoulder. And then Joker's laughter trails off, but Batman's doesn't. And so some people think, oh, that's why it's called the killing joke, because it's literally Batman realizing, oh, Joker's never going to change. I have to just kill him and end this, which doesn't make sense to Batman's character, but it's why it would be like the but it last. Would be mon- but it, with what that character is supposed to be, it would be monumental for that character. Mm-hmm. And knowing Alan Moore, he would want to do something exactly. like that. He would want it that's to be a, so subtle that it certainly is. certainly what was intended by what I'm hearing and by what I know of Alan Moore. I'm like, mm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that he would want it to be dark. Yeah. Got him. But it is ambiguous. Coming and it having is. to come, Batman ultimately having to come to the realization of like, they're, they're, he's taken away my choice. And I realize that maybe this is what has to be done. And I mean, it does change Batman from being a hero in the sense that we understand yeah. him to never kill anybody. Yeah. But that is what happens. And Alan Moore is super pessimistic about this. He's yeah. like, 
It isn't about anything that you're ever going to encounter in real life. They're not like any human beings. There's no important human information being imparted. Yeah, it was something that I thought was clumsy, misjudged, and had no human importance. He's just like, <laughs> he still is grumpy old Alan Moore. Cool. Um, well. Yeah. So the, the thing that the original Joker was based off of way back in the 40s was that film, The Man Who Laughs, which is this old black and white silent film that mm -hmm. came out in 1928. And the, it was based on a book, because everything is based on a book. Everything. Which came out in 1869. And this is this guy, Victor Hugo, who wrote The Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm. which is, again, oh. similarly about this weird, disfigured, ostracized character yeah. in society who tries to reckon with that. And the novel is called The Man Who Laughs. It became a German expressionist film. It was supposed to be based on these other Hollywood films that MGM and Universal had been making in the 20s, these silent right, films. Yes. The Hunchback of Notre Dame was a film. Phantom of the Opera was a film. They were like, we like this track. This is before the big movie monster ones. Mm -hmm. But this one is way more artistic. And the guy who was the main guy was in the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, if you're mm -hmm. a movie buff. That was like the original one. So they got him. The story is about this guy's dad who was murdered by a jester in 1700s England. His son is given this twisted smile to remember it. And I'm going to show Evan a picture and I'll put it in the show notes for everybody else to see. But it's a comparison of what this guy looks like and the makeup and the styling of him in this film and what the Joker looks like. And so that is, if you click on that link in the show notes. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty scary. Yeah. Wow. What I thought was interesting was the guy who that's did- a, That's pretty amazing. Yeah. The guy who did this makeup, Jack Pierce, for this film, then became the guy who did all the monster stuff. So he was the guy who came up with I, Frankenstein, the classic Boris yeah. Karloff one, the mummy, Wolfman, Dracula. He did all, all, all that makeup. All those classic looks. All started, those looks we know. Yeah. Started with this, which then is very, very similar to the Joker. But the Joker was not always like the representation that we see that you saw this week. The representation that I saw, and we won't go into major spoilers, uh, but we will be talking about it. Um, mm -hmm. So if that matters to you, just, a, I guess, a fair warning. But um, the Joker I saw, this is a, a man riddled with uh, mental illness. They really make a case for mental illness in this mm -hmm. film. He's living with his mother, working as a clown that kind of gets uh, rented out around town to advertise or parties, all these different kinds of things. And it's going really terribly. Um, he's getting beat up like all the time. And he he kind of has these daydreams. He sees on TV that there's this late night host that he looks up to kind of as a father figure. Um, so similar to the killing joke in that he's trying to be a comedian or trying mm -hmm, to have this. Mm -hmm. And he kind of gets inspired there and he tries yeah. to do a little bit of stand up. And it, I've seen acts like this before, actually. I have a friend of mine who's a big cinephile who'd shown me a legitimate comedy act where the guy goes up to be as awkward as possible. It's, mm. all, it's you know, just as yeah. counter comedy club as, you know, the, the avant-garde comedy, except it's played here as this guy is genuinely has a, a ton of social anxiety and some disconnects that people are perceiving as an act. Right. Some people start to join in like an odd, like, oh, I see what he's doing. This is good. Not knowing the real person. Yeah, yeah. not knowing what's yeah. going on at all. And put, it put the audience, put myself in an, in an odd, really mm -hmm. odd place to be of like feeling like I'm on two sides of a box of just like, well, which one am I going to fall in What do you here? think is the big controversy that people have with this film? I really, and uh, I'll say, I've never been more glad that I do this show <laughs> than this 
film, this episode, this material, because I really did not want to see this movie. The last few weeks of publicity for this film really turned me off. I thought it, it, there were some blatant attempts at manufacturing drama, uh, manufacturing publicity. Um, I'm sure as, uh, Joaquin Phoenix walking out of an interview because of uh, him being questioned about the content of the film. Uh, should we be talking about mental illness and its link perhaps with violence and in a sociopolitical climate such as the one we're in now? where he storms out and and then eventually comes back to. But the whole idea is like kind of purporting the thought that Warner Brothers had not thought. That this would have, that this question right. would ever be asked, yeah. Which is preposterous. It's just, it's, un, it's impossible. And I thought, well, see what happens. But they just kept digging that hole. The next week he's on Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's, and they play a clip of uh, surprising him with something and as if there's footage of him they and they, and they show it of him uh, berating the cinematographer of the film yeah. uh it, it, just cursing at him except the difference we, we've seen this before we've seen christian bale curse mm -hmm. at the terminator cinematographer. i'll never work in this town again mm -hmm. this isn't that this is not a, a cell phone off to the side of set somebody snuck it no this is the camera roll this is from the movie that Jimmy Kimmel... Well, it's late it's night just, nonsense. It's late night. This is late night nonsense. Except nobody's saying it's nonsense. Nobody... <laughs> everybody's playing it straight nose to the wire. Yeah. Um, I'm like, what is My question the is, upshot here? What is, is, the, is the point? Because is the... is the From your perspective, is the movie already controversial enough? Yeah. And that's why... And that's why you're like, well, I think this is strange that they would up the ante because they're afraid that it's not going to get the controversialness that we want. I'm trying to understand their thought here. I'm trying to understand what they think this would get them or what point they're trying to make. I think their film says plenty yeah. about plenty. About plenty. <laughs> about plenty. My God. Yeah, um, yeah. I, so I, I'm trying to think. I don't think they made that much more money than mm. they would have made had none of this publicity happened. If he had just gone out, a normal show, whatever, he's just being weird on Jimmy Kimmel. Or mm. If it all just went normal and the film had just come out, the film is controversial enough and it's going to a wide enough audience. Yeah. This is like not some largest. niche little art film. I mean, it is uh, surprisingly yeah. kind of an art film. Um, but this is going to the biggest audience you can have. Yeah. This is going, it was always going to be number one this weekend. It was always going to be one of the biggest films of the year. I've never, been, after seeing the film, I was never more convinced that they knew exactly what they were doing. Mm. Yeah. It's in, they, they comment directly on the media and on, on, on the wealthy um, and on the, and, and how those, how money and capital is used to turn people into profit, turn stories into profit. And nobody cares who they are, what the truth is, money in front of eyes, get the, go yeah um so these people know exactly what they're doing i just don't know what they're doing in my life <laughs> it looks like a multi-layered me uh, yeah <laughs> well we're going to talk about how joker has had a history of controversy in his making and then kind of also how life imitates art imitates life in what this movie was inspired by film wise which was mm -hmm. also based on something literary which also happened in real life which then inspired something else to happen in real life this is <laughs> an alice in wonderland tunnel yeah and i i we don't brief before the shows really like we <laughs> like he taylor tells me a couple things that are but just by the 
two sentences he says about things. I go, what in the world kaleidoscope am I about to walk into? This is bananas. So this is stuff yeah. I've never. This is stuff I've never heard. So we're going to start with the history. In starts in the golden age in the fifties, like with our Stan Lee episode, which is episode eleven. If you want to know about comic books in general, go listen to that. We plug in all the other episodes today. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's backstory. So Golden Age is the 50s. This is where he appears. Everything's connected, Taylor. I just want to say, everything's yeah, yeah. connected. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. It's Golden all coming Age. together. So Batman was in Detective Comics originally, but then Batman got his own series just called Batman. Right. And so Joker was in the first issue of Batman, which was in April of 1940. Since the beginning. Since the beginning. Now we got the Joker as his first villain. He was originally a remorseless serial killer who had Joker Venom, who was killing people. Joker Venom. And he was going to be killed off in that issue because they didn't want to make Batman seem so inept that there would be this villain who then continues on into the next, Mm -hmm. you know, in the Mm -hmm. next thing. But the editor said, no, we got to keep him for later. They shoddily put in one last panel where it looks like he got stabbed and died, but then he comes back and then the the issue ends. Whoa. So then he appears sporadically in the Batman comics. And now we're moving into the Silver Age in the 60s. We get his origin, which is that Red Hood story that I said. Yeah. But it's not- uh, Oh, Alan Moore. Yeah. not Well, not the Alan Moore one in The Killing. That one came out in the 80s. But, but you mean what, the, the, the- The original Yes, of, yes, yes. Sorry, just the yes. fact that he the, wore- yeah. what, the, what the Alan Moore one is referencing. Right, right. My apologies. Yeah, no, that's okay. He, But that came about a decade later from when the Joker appeared. For 10 years, nobody knew who this guy is or, what, oh. or how he became oh. the Joker. Uh, but the problem is- Starting in the late 50s, he becomes more of this goofy prankster because of the Comics Code Authority, which we talked about where they can't have yeah. any drugs. They can't – you know, it's all changing. So – and so it was strict. shifting to children reading it as opposed to the pulpy, smutty crime stories. Right. Cesar Romero in the 60s with the Adam West TV show, that was still very – Pow! <laughs> zap! Yeah. Zoom! Yeah, and Joker is this goofball that was still going on. The and mustache. Sh- yeah, the mustache that he painted <laughs> over. Didn't shave it's weird. it. Weird. <laughs> it made me want to scratch my face. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, that ended in '68, so you don't have to scratch your face. For Luckily, too long. Yeah. that ended. But along with interest in comics going down at the end of the '60s, so then in '73, this is the Bronze Age. Joker had not been in a single comic for four years. And this guy, Dennis O'Neill, reintroduces him as this homicidal maniac in Batman number 251. This is where he also introduces, this is the first moment that Arkham Asylum is introduced. Or Arkham Hospital. Okay, so Arkham Asylum and Joker are inherently Mm -hmm. linked. Yeah. Wow. And that is what happens there. In the 70s, this is the Bronze Age where they are experimenting more with the character. Joker had his own comic book line just called The Joker, where they never bring in the Batman. And it's just about him Hmm. dealing with other criminals and characters. So he's kind of this weird Mm anti-hero where he is the biggest villain of the group, but there's other stuff going on. And that helps develop his character and they do some other one-shot stuff, but they're really playing around with characters in the 70s. Then we go into the 80s. Yeah. (laughs) And everything's tripping out. We go into the Dark Age, which is the 80s. In the 80s and 90s. This is where we have The Dark Knight Returns, which came out in 1986. Batman is an older, retired hero. Then we have 88 and 89. As we said, The Killing Joke came out in 88. There is this story called A Death in the Family, which was very, very strange to me. It's about Jason Todd, who was Robin at the time, and the character was growing uninteresting to people. Not that Robin. No. This Robin. This Robin, because the other Robin had become Nightwing. He was uninteresting. He was whiny. Readers didn't <laughs> like him. So they did this bizarre thing for the time where you could call 
a 900 number for 36 hours to vote for his fate. Was he going to live or was he going to I wish somebody die? would do that for me. <laughs> in real life? Y'all vote. Y'all, y'all call in. 111 illiterate. Mm-hmm. Should Evan eat today? <laughs> Should Evan not eat today? Yeah. Let's see. Up I wish everything chance. was decided by vote on, t- on, on text message. <laughs> and weird because it was in the 80s. So they just had to, they had to see it on the back of the comic book and then vote at this bizarre time in the week. It was over 10,000 votes. There was a 72 vote margin. Very small that uh, Robin should die. So like, well, we got to kill him in the next oh. episode. Oh, just eked out a death there. Just, <laughs> and in a weird, <laughs> yeah. In a weird turn of events, Robin is looking, f- and this ties into political controversy at the time of the 80s. Robin is looking for his real mother in the Middle East, and Joker is out there trying to sell a nuclear weapon to Iran. Casual. Joker crowbars and kills Robin, explodes him, Jason Todd, in a warehouse <laughs> thing. And so Batman and everybody's coming after him. Joker gives them a strange address, which they realize is the headquarters to the UN. Joker is given a position by the Iranian government, by the Ayatollah Khomeini, as the UN diplomatic representative to Iran. This is... (laughs) He is in a traditional uh, headdress in the UN. And now, because this of that, is a costume, ladies and gentlemen, for Halloween. If you're having it's, it's trouble culturally insensitive, of, nobody <laughs> will know this. Nobody. This is this is pure genius. But it's also culturally insensitive. Good um, lord. <laughs> but he is given the whole thing about this is he's given diplomatic immunity, so they can't do anything to him. Superman even shows up and is like, "We got to go after him." Then he tries to explode the UN headquarters, and then he leaves laughing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it was strange that he would be incorporated into the political situation of the time with Iran in the Middle East. That's and bizarre. US Everything about that is bizarre and cartoonish. <laughs> Thank God it is a cartoon, basically. Yeah. But like we said, this this is all what's going on in the 80s. And then the Batman film comes out in 89. 89, baby. Tim Burton. Tim Burton old Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Jack Nicholson. Yeah. We might think it's too goofy, but for the time, it was too dark. Yeah, it was dark. People criticized it greatly. They then, doubled down on the sequel, too. They went darker with the Penguin. I was scared they of went the Penguin. so I was dark so they scared. didn't get it there. Yeah. <laughs> so then in 92, we have the animated series with Mark Hamill as the Joker. Mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. A, also the Joker. It was Nicholson and Hamill that yeah. were the big ones. And he's a mind. good mix of being goofy and also being homicidal in a way mm-hmm. and scary. This is... I didn't know this. My brother told me this, that the animated series was when Harley Quinn got introduced. Really? That's yeah. the, that's your origin? Yeah. Whoa, really? It came out in the... Yeah, she was an original character in the show. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Oh, interesting. And then So now, we won't be doing a Harley Quinn episode <laughs> for that godforsaken movie when that comes out. <laughs> right. But she is, I mean... She is huge. The CCO, Jim Lee, of DC Comics, refers to Harley Quinn as the fourth pillar in their publishing line right now. So it goes Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and then Harley Quinn. The 2016 relaunch of her comic was the best-selling of the year, one of the best-selling of the year for comic books. Blasting through the So she, like, got a ton of popularity. And then, of course, we have the Nolan films that came out in 2008. I was on that train. Dark Knight was the highest grossing film of that year. Dark Knight? It was the first acting Oscar for a superhero film. The Joker got an Oscar. Yeah. But he has changed over time as well. Unlike other characters who need to have versions that make sense for them, he's able to ignore them and he thrives. The reason his character is so... That's it. Yeah, it's part of it. Is so movable in culture is because you can make... How he came to be relevant. That's to only adding adding depth to it. That's only adding dimensions to it. Yeah, 
And that's what we've seen with this film now. You can just make up an entire story that has nothing to do with any of the comic books, and it still fits in. Yep, he's just a he's just a clown living with his mom who thinks he wants to try something, and then over the course of it, realizes that he just doesn't like people at all. People are mean. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's off from there. The thing that Evan was teasing before is the the influence of the film that is specifically referenced as Taxi Driver. Yes, this is what the director has stated. Is Taxi Driver is a classic directed Scorsese. by Martin Scorsese uh, from 1976, correct? Yes. Um, yeah, big influence on on this. Massive, I would say. As some people are like even like like as if the Joker doesn't as if Joker doesn't have any kind of no 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 Joker, they did their own work. It was a nice start for the thought here. I mean, I would mm-hmm. have never thought really do that, but I mean, man, Todd Phillips really had the right idea here to base it off of a movie that is well i mean but the movie is well 40, if you take yeah. travis bickle in taxi driver and you take his plight if you give him some iconography if you give him a big character step mm-hmm. that's just an origin for some big look and that's all todd phillips thought sitting in his room one night <laughs> drinking whiskey <He> just went <laughs> this is good this could be it's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's honestly, I think, where a lot of this started is mm-hmm. like, oh, man, that that would serve as the blueprint for an incredible yeah. origin story. Yeah. And so, of course, Taxi Driver is based on something else. And it is based on this something. This is what I want to know. About. Literary. This is hot <laughs> takes right here. This is hot. So Taxi Driver is based on a real situation. There was this guy, Arthur Bremer, who was this crazy person who shot. Oh, this is. His name is Arthur in Joker. Interesting. His name is Arthur. (laughs) So uh, this guy, Arthur Bremer, shot this presidential hopeful, George Wallace, in 1972. This guy just went out and shot this guy on the campaign trail. And his diaries were found covered in like cellophane and plastic in a a suitcase. What? In a viaduct, like underneath a bridge. Uh, What? That's amazing. And about how, about just like his his reasoning behind it, which has nothing to do with political ambition. It's just how people are treating him and fame and fortune. And he's a bit off. Oh my the gosh! In relation to the killing joke is very. He left Wallace permanently paralyzed from the waist down, like Barbara oh Gordon in God. the Killing Joke. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, like I said, and and the book that his diaries got published as a book the year later in seventy three. It's called An Assassin's Diary, and I'll put a link to it in Amazon. It's kind of madness. This is spooky stuff right here. But he got 35 years in prison. So that happened in 72. Taxi Driver, which is loosely based on that, comes out in 76. And then there's another guy, John Hinckley Jr., the guy who tried to assassinate Reagan in 81, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, said mm-hmm. he was inspired by Taxi Driver. Oh, God. <laughs> which is inspired <laughs> by that guy. Bringing it right back around. And then the Joker, which came out this year, is inspired by Taxi Driver, which they think according to the controversy, is going to inspire people to do other heinous acts. Right. That was the whole idea was, uh, on the lead up to opening weekend. Was like, is something going to happen in theater after the Aurora shootings at yeah. uh, The Dark Knight Rises? Yeah. That people think that it's going to incite. In, in, that was the part of it that was distasteful for me, honestly, about all of the stuff. It's just like, I mean, were it was Warner Brothers and Todd Phillips and all of these people really discounting the possibility that violence could ensue? I mean, I think that's just a bit cavalier. <laughs> Well, especially now that we see that like art imitates life, imitate Thank arts, God imitate happen. life in a never-ending cycle. Continuous dimensions. I mean, a lot of aura has been brewed over the death of Heath Ledger. Um, because a lot of people like to assign 
uh, some responsibility onto the character. And I think that has fueled a lot of the the Joker fandom since. Turned it into this weird thing. If you start thinking of Joker a little bit more than a character and more as like this thought entity that's passing over through humans and beyond... Uh, it's and fascinating I think, that honestly, it's part, claiming yeah, lives. <laughs> part of the controversy as well, which people might not realize or understand, is like the Joker is a character alongside Batman. And when you have, I mean, if you've seen the trailer, it appears a little bit, but we won't go too much into it in relation to the movie. But if you don't have Batman in there as a part of the duality, like the character from its start had no desire for criminal goals like money or power. His design was only to continue the game with Batman. And there's been a lot of offshoots in the comic book series. Uh, There's one in 1994 called Going Sane, where he tries to lead a normal life after Batman dies, only to become his old self again when Batman reappears. Uh, there's a there's a series called that's cool yeah there's there's one that came out in 2017 called batman white knight where the roles are reversed and because of thomas wayne dying batman goes insane and joker tries to stop him so it's like they're always in in parallel and that's why they're dubbed the best hero villain combo and that is continued in this film Hmm. um i don't know if i want to spoil that no no but just it's it's interesting they they carry the torch there yeah um they they keep them they keep them interlinked and interwoven that without that batman expanded it yeah cool without that batman subject as well it becomes what is it speaking to you do have to have that Mm -hmm. duality and that's been a huge part of a character and played around with the character Man, I remember there was this fan film. Well, I don't know. I don't even know what the object of it was. Now, this was like mid-2000s. I was all over. I was geeking out <laughs> over this piece of... I think it's called Batman versus Alien versus Predator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's live action. And this this has money put into it. It was a, a, a special effects artist. So, man, these characters look... these. This is movie quality stuff. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Almost. And, and, and it opens as like a... a, a a typical Gotham night. Batman's finally got Joker. He's, he's yeah, escaped yeah, out yeah. of the out of Arkham Asylum, and he's got Joker, and he's in the mi- in the middle of uh, apprehending him. And, and Joker goes on waxing prophetic about how we're how they're they're interlinked. It's like people like you made me. Dad. That was that was an an a a, a a version of Joker. He ends up getting snatched away by an right. alien, and all chaos <laughs> ensues when a when a predator shows up. Y'all got to go check that out. It's really, really, really amazing. I'm sure it's readily available on YouTube, but uh, it's it's just amazing in how many different forms and iterations this thing can pop up, and yeah. what it can be matched with, and how even in the shortest of interactions, they are still fighting about being interlinked and being mm-hmm. interwoven, being connected forever and always. Mm-hmm. And dare I mention, since he comes up always, Shakespeare who has a character in Othello (laughs) called Iago, who is a villain who just wants to destroy something beautiful, which is Othello. He is jealous of being passed over for a lieutenant position and jealous of Othello, and he goes on this rampage to try and destroy everybody's lives with no actual evidence that any of the things have actually been done to him. He is notable for his mistreatment of women, a la Harley Quinn. Mm. He double crosses his confidant, Rodrigo, He has considerable intellect, he is amused by other people's suffering, and he has a mysterious past that nobody knows, and he tends to get away with things by being jovial and smiling. (laughs) There was an interesting thought presented in the film 
the laugh, the the actual laugh mm-hmm. being taking the idea of the laughter, the comedy, taking the comedy out of it. What if the laughter is more inherently part of his character in a way that we had not explored before? And this film mm-hmm. goes there in saying that perhaps he has a neurological condition when he reacts to certain search, uh, uh, social interactions that yeah. it spurts laughing fits. And he actually has a card that he has to, while he's just like cannot contain himself, he has to hand to people. And because it's Joaquin Phoenix, it's an incredible performance, and it's really, really easy to empathize with mm-hmm. him. And this is how the movie is really kind of starting. Um, that was a dim- a dimension of an aspect that inherently part of the character that, that I had been. never seen or seen or even thought of explored mm-hmm. in such a fashion. I was really, really interested by thought by that. They bring up the thought: is it real? Is it is it not? They present that very lightly in the mm-hmm. film. Personally, I think it's very. I think it's real. But I don't, you know, I think it's interesting that the that the I like when when films let there being a conversation about yeah. that, and it it in it is really talking about it, it is getting at the point of uh, on the other side of it. How do you, how do we respond? How do we react? How does society react to people like this? To people who have conditions? To people mm-hmm. who are have a plight? Who have it's really interesting thoughts that I'm glad personally are being for this version broadcast that, yeah. to the widest possible. Audience. Yeah, this is not the end all be all of any intellectual conversation mm-hmm. on any of these things because yeah. this is the the harrowing uh, cautionary tale, right? Yeah, um, this is there. This is no example for any, but it <laughs> what it is doing is bringing up heavy, heavy, big questions that we ought to be asking ourselves. And we ought to be asked, our youth ought to be asking themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the beauty of great characters is that Absolutely. you can plug them into all different sorts of situations and they can have a relevance to what we need to talk about right now. This was a beautiful dimension brought into this character and it, and it makes you want to align with him more. It makes you empathize with him. Yeah. I was really, really into that, that idea presented. This, that was a really, really fresh idea. Cool. This well, was cool. Yeah. This was, I'm I, like I said, I've never been more glad that I've I was forced to watch a movie because hopefully, of this show. Yeah. Hopefully uh, we're forcing our great. listeners to watch things or read things or think about things. I hope somebody's thinking about something, baby. Or go see the the man who laughs from nineteen twenty eight, the yeah, silent check it film. Out. But... Go see this photo. Check out our show notes. This yeah, is wild. Um, and then, and you know, when you see that, think of all the the big universal monsters. Like that is what this this guy, the guy that did this, he's responsible for all those classic looks that are you're gonna see all month long. Uh, <laughs> right. <on this> spooky, <laughs> spooky October. While we're at it, go ahead. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're watching. What are you excited for? Hit us up at Illiterate Pod on Instagram. We want to know what you're thinking. All right, guys. This has been a blast. We'll come at you next week. Bye.